You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 20. Breathe in, breathe out. And welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine featuring voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Josh Madison, and I'm speaking to you from inside a nutrient sack in a giant honeycomb. Just a little bit of housekeeping up front. Denver Orbit is going to be live again, this time in Fort Collins. We're going to have a show on May 25th at Wolverine Farm Letterpress and Public House. It is completely free, and it features local author Laura Pritchett, music from the band Bev and Luna, and some highly questionable advice from our own resident advice columnist and co-host, Mary McHugh. You can find out more about that at wolverinefarm.org or check out the event section of our Facebook page for more info. And as I mentioned, it is free, but space is limited, so RSVP as soon as you can at Wolverine Farm's website or just follow the link from our events page. It's going to be around an hour's worth of a good time. On to today's show, then. We have a story from an actual radio producer and friend of the show, Shannon Geis, a song from an old friend of mine from our record store days, Kevin Richards, and some musings from a good friend and neighbor, Jenny Lynn Ellis. Let's just jump right in, then, with producer Shannon Geis and her piece, The Death Cafe. Death is something I became acquainted with when I was a teenager. Over the course of middle school and high school, I lost an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, and a great-grandmother. Some of those deaths were unexpected, and some were not. But my family always gathered together to support each other. Death wasn't a welcome event, but it was one that I and my family could handle together. That is until my father died unexpectedly. I was 19 years old and a freshman in college. It happened so fast that it was impossible for me to get back in time to see him before he went. One day he was sick in the hospital with a common, not typically life-threatening illness, and the next my sister was holding up a cell phone with me on the other end as my dad took his last breath. My dad's death was isolating in ways I never expected. Only a week after the funeral, I went back to finish my freshman year at a college a thousand miles from home. I was away from my family and surrounded by other immature 18- and 19-year-olds who had never really dealt with the loss of someone close to them. It made me feel like a freak. felt like my classmates and roommates were avoiding me. They didn't want to talk with me about what I was going through, afraid of what it might mean to speak the word death out loud. My dad's death was more than 10 years ago, but the feeling of isolation and of others' avoidance of talking candidly about death still bother me. So I was fascinated to hear about the concept of a death cafe, an open gathering where people, often strangers, come together to discuss death with no agenda. The idea was first developed in Europe by the Swiss sociologist Bernard Cretaz, who held the first Café Mortel in 2004. I did some digging and was excited to find that there was one happening here in Denver. So I reached out to the Denver organizer, Nancy English, to learn more about what the Death Cafe was really all about. Uh, and that's what we try to do, is create that space where anything you say is acceptable, whatever it is, and, and something you, you can't say, and just, you know, cocktail party stuff. 
<laughs> or party stuff. You're not going to talk about it. I end up talking about everything at any place. <laughs> so. Nancy is a nurse who has worked in hospice for many years and now teaches about palliative care and death and dying at the University of Colorado College of Nursing. And she's not surprised by my experience. It's a misunderstanding of what really goes on, um, you know, and, but it's, it, it's, a, it's the fear concept that you will be separated from those you care about, and which is understandably fearful. I mean, there's no way that we don't understand it. So we normally, humans, just say, oh, well, I'm not going to talk about something because if I don't talk about it, it won't happen. So it's that kind of mis mythical, you know, thinking that we have. It's like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it because if I don't talk about it, it won't happen. So the anxiety sort of, you know, kind of takes seed in the soul. This fear of talking about dying and acknowledging death is part of why she became so interested in starting a death cafe here in Denver. <clears throat> why well, I just got interested in this because I was a hospice nurse. And as a hospice nurse, nobody wants to talk about death, believe it or not, even though they know that they could be dying. And I would go out and admit people into the hospice after the doctor had recommended them to come into hospice, and we'd go out and introduce it. And many times they'd say, don't say the D word. And well, I mean, you know, it's hard for me not to say the D word. And so I would ask the family or the patient, you know, so I would just say, tell me about what you feel is happening. And every patient would say, I know I've got a terrible illness and I know that I'm dying. And they would say that so the patient would know, but nobody around them would talk about it. And it would be so awkward. And then the family would go, you know, like let out a big sigh because they didn't realize that the patient really knew. And physicians were also very hesitant to talk about death. And they never would say to patients that had an illness that this could be a illness that ends in death. They just didn't say that. And nobody wants to hear that. But I think everybody wants honesty in a communication and they want it confirmed, and then they want to live. So what I feel truly is that people can live more fully once they have an honest conversation. The key to the death cafe is the lack of judgment. It's not about preaching a specific idea of death or what the afterlife may or may not look like, or even how to handle your grief. The group just kind of comes together and just really, it's very supportive so that there, this really tough conversations like what you shared with about your father, that's a really difficult time. And others kind of maybe have had similar experiences and they come in support. And how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with it as a society? How did you deal with it? You know, how did uh, our, those kinds of things come up in each session. It sounded like a perfect place for me to explore my own experiences with death and grief. So I decided to attend a recent session at the Tattered Cover Bookstore on Colfax Avenue. I arrived on a Sunday afternoon around 3.30 and already a large group had formed. More than 30 people joined the two-hour conversation. There was a wide range of ages and backgrounds, 
though there were a few more women in the group than men. After some brief introductions, the conversation started off about whether a fear of death was rational. A couple of people who had dealt with long-term illness or close encounters with death shared some of the lessons they had learned. It moved on to a discussion of grief and how individualized the experience can be. And then finally, the conversation turned to mindfulness and the importance of just being present right now. Stop thinking and just feel, said one woman. So I just finished uh, the Death Cafe. Uh, It was a really wonderful experience. It was a little bit weird, but in the best ways. It was really wonderful to have this this very open conversation about death and about some of the things that people are scared of or are thinking about. There were several people who have uh, potentially terminal illnesses One of the things that people spoke about that I think was particularly helpful for me was the, um, this conversation around being able to be with and maybe, and touch a body of someone who has been, who has recently passed. Um, having that time with someone that you, uh, care about as they're, as they're dying and then as after they've actually passed away. Um, and the mindfulness and the presence that it brings uh, was really interesting. I, I realized in that moment how much I had not had that with my dad's death in particular. And, um, and how much that was missing for me. And I don't think I really put my finger on the fact that that was something that was missing until that conversation began. Obviously, losing my dad is something that I'm, I'm going to deal with in some way or another for the rest of my life. But not being able to be there when he actually died, I think, was something that um, kind of haunted me. It still haunts me to a certain extent, um, but particularly right after. And I think maybe not having that moment to actually process and be with him um, at that moment uh, made it harder for me to really grasp the fact that he was gone. It was it was really enlightening for me to kind of come to that realization and to hear that um, being expressed by others and to have that open conversation around that. Um, yeah, it was, it was really nice. Overall, the experience was surprisingly uplifting. I felt like I had been able to process some of the emotions that I didn't realize had been building up over time. And I'm looking forward to attending another death cafe soon. But if you aren't sure about attending a death cafe yourself, you can still start some of these conversations about death in your own life. Nancy has some tips. You know, just talk about through movies, through music, because it's in film, it's in music all the time. And so talking about it, you know, just saying, you know, do you ever think about dying? I usually start off with saying what scares you about death and what is the most exciting thing, the mysterious. We all like mystery. And so it's kind of that, you know, taking culture as it is, movies, music, and just opening the conversation and then making it personal. And we don't know how long things take. I mean, I don't think there's any prescribed date on death because some people have cancer and live for years. Some people 
you know, cross the street and they're enemies. So it's, it's not something that you can predict. So the more you can talk about it, it's better. Shannon Geis is a freelance audio producer and oral historian who loves telling stories, exploring historic places, and traveling. You can hear more of her work at shannongeis.net. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-G-E-I-S dot net. And if you're interested in attending a death cafe, the next one will be at the Tattered Cover Colfax on May 20th at 3.30 p.m. Do you have a story or song or something you'd like to share? If so, I'd love to chat with you about it. So you can reach me at denverorbit at gmail.com or on facebook.com slash denverorbit. Up next is music from an old friend of mine. Kevin and I worked together at a record store well over a decade ago. He makes music under the band name Equine. This is the song Variation 2 from the album Camphor.
Miss Collins Miss Collins You can find more of Equine at equine.bandcamp.com. Kevin will be playing out this month on the 26th at Bar Max, which is located at 2412 East Colfax. Do you like looking at delightful nonsense on the internet? Yes? Well, Denver Orbit just happens to have an Instagram page where you can do just that. Just point your internet box at Instagram and search for Denver Orbit. You won't be disappointed. Well, you might be disappointed. I, I actually don't know. Finally, here's an essay about the fickleness of the muse from Jenny Lynn Ellis. It's called The Writing Cat. She saunters into the room, looking refreshed in her glossy coat that she has smoothed over a thousand times with her sandpaper tongue. It's been days now since she graced me with her presence. As I watch her, I feel like a dry dish sponge that has been submerged into warm, soapy water. I admire her white fur and the magic of her mismatched blue and brown eyes as she glides across the kitchen floor. She is the goddess of the pyramid rituals and keeper of an eternal flame. I have never heard her speak unless I'm alone, secluded far inside myself, deeply still in almost any seat with a window close by. She favors a certain angle of light. She likes to surprise me at home but once she followed me for a week in a mountain cabin, purring with delight at our isolation. She dictated poems and spun raw memories into paragraphs. Although I know she watches me, I can't say if she likes me. I'm a vehicle, a neutral lap she graces at her whim. Those I love who have died, who animate my dreams, and notebooks often bring her out of hiding. And if I want to see the cat, I must be as alone as I will be at my own ending. She pauses on the oriental rug, looks at the blank wall, radiating disinterest in me and my overworking brain as I think, 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 think. I know not to move or react when she makes her appearances. I set my purple bick down and stare out into the courtyard garden. I contemplate spring. I sense the texture of the paint coating the garage wall. My thoughts relax. The magnolia branches hang horizontally in the March sunshine, their bare wood filling hour by hour with temptation to burst into bloom before the inevitable April snows. I watch the tree's sharp oval buds, and I wait. One false move, one sharp line of thought toward the cat, and she will scuttle off for God knows how long and to God knows where. Does she snooze in the basement when she avoids me, closing her eyes behind the antique secretary with its mold and cobwebs? Or does she luxuriate under the queen-size bed in the guest room savoring the padded carpet at night, then sleeping the afternoon away in a shower of sunbeams. I leave all the doors in the house open, just a crack, so she can have freedom of movement. 
Sometimes I wish she didn't live here. I wish I had never invited her in. She creates a wave of longing in me that is sharp and seasonal, like a scythe flying through a field of Russian hay, slicing through the air with a whoosh, striking down tall grasses, and forcing women in scarves to bend again and again to rake and tie bundles of winter fodder. The cat doesn't care about any of this, sitting on my kitchen floor. She feels neither love nor lovelessness. She is loyal only to herself. She scorns time as the ultimate illusion. I watch her as she pulls a paw smoothly over one white tufted ear, moving like an oar through still water. Now she shakes her head, alertness shining in her eyes. I stare out the window, dropping my desire for her attention from my shoulders, forgetting how much I've craved her breath on my face. The refrigerator sighs as a distant hum of construction noise drifts past the house. She looks at me as I listen. I feel her gaze without turning my head. I see a squirrel twitch its tail on the flat top of a wooden fence. I want to open the window and toss the cat out into the muddy flower bed so she can return to her feral ancestry, living off garbage and songbirds. I know she would never look back. Instead, I warm my hands around my half-empty coffee mug and stare into space until my breath softens and I begin to feel a rising acceptance of what she may or may not bring me today. The landing of her soft weight on the cushion next to me doesn't disturb my reverie. She gently bumps her head against my elbow. I turn my eyes to her otherworldly face as she brushes against me again. I lift my hand and stroke her back. I see the sparks of inspiration jump from her coat. I regard her warmth and her dignity, and I forget every time she disappeared and all that long, lonely waiting she gave me. She settles herself along the length of my thigh, ready at last to give me the words I need. Jenny Lynn Ellis is a writer and all-around great person. Keep an eye out for more work from her in the future. The music of Lee Rosevere, Dana Boulay, and Chris Zabriskie was used to score the pieces in today's show. You can check out their music and much, much more at the Free Music Archive online at freemusicarchive.org. Denver Orbit is produced and edited by me, Josh Madison, and I'll see you again in two weeks.